Hello everybody, I'm Matt Makuchi and you are listening to the Jazz Ace Podcast. Hello everybody, Jazz is online editor Matt Mikuchi here, welcoming you to a new episode of our podcast series of conversations with some of the most amazing artists on the jazz and creative music scene today. A series that we simply like to call the Jazz Ace Podcast. And it's brought to you in conjunction with Jazz Ace Vinyl Club, a series of vinyl compilations carefully curated by the Jazz Ace editors, and that is an absolute must for lovers of jazz and vinyl alike. In today's episode, we dive into the enchanting world of acclaimed bassist Brian Bromberg as he talks about his latest album, The Magic of Moonlight, released under Mac Avenue in 2023. Transporting listeners to a realm of romance and mystery beneath the full moon, the album also boasts stellar guest contributions from notable guest artists. Join us as Bromberg not only delves into the musical nuances of this project, but also shares profound insights into his musical journey from his beginnings as a drummer before switching to the bass to his early recordings and how he managed to remain productive and creative during the challenging days and months of the pandemic lockdowns. So fire up an audio teeny and listen to the audio waves as they fly through the air. This is the Jazz Ace Podcast. Hello, Brian. Welcome to the Jazz Ace Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. You know, the way that we like to start these podcasts is by just asking a very simple question. I like to ask the artists I speak with to kind of share a memory with me from early life or childhood of a moment when they distinctly remember kind of awakening to the beauty and power of music. And maybe it's like a moment that when you think back to it, you also realize, you know, I'd like to maybe become a musician when I grow up. Now, does anything like that come to mind? Or do you have one such memory that you could share with us at this time? You know, honestly, it would be, it would be impossible for me to pick one only because I grew up in a house where my father and my brother were both professional drummers and, um, you know, and were jazz drummers. That was their passion. So literally every woken <laughs> memory I have of my life, music was in my life. So it wasn't like there was a moment where I was like, oh, gee, I want to be a musician. I was, I mean, I already, I started playing drums at two and a half. I started beating up furniture and by four I could play the drum set, you know, so music was always part of my life. I was always around it. Um, you know, hearing them play either in the house or at events and things like that. So I, I just always remember music kind of was like, was my life from day one. It just, it was always a part of my life. So um, it's hard to pick a moment that was, that made me go, oh gee, this is what I want to do or how cool would that be? It's just, it's kind of like, it's all I ever knew what to do. It just, it was always there. And I think it, I feel very fortunate because of that, because it helped me learn it, it helped me learn and understand what music is from a very young age. And I, that was, to me, was invaluable. It, yeah, I, I knew that you were, yeah, of course, in asking that question that you did come from a musical family and it would be uh, particularly challenging to, to kind of 
you know, single out a particular memory or a particular moment. And it is interesting also, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you first, you, the first instrument that you started playing, was it the drums? Uh, it wasn't the bass, yeah. right? Yeah. No, not a lot. It was drums. I, I started, literally started beating up furniture at two and a half and was playing the drums at four. And, you know, at 12, 13 years old, I was working four nights a week as a drummer, <laughs> even through junior high school as a kid. Um, I was, I was a drummer, you know, up until, um, up until I started getting serious on the bass, which really wasn't until about 15 or 16 years old is when I started playing bass. Um, and that was, that came about because I was a cellist as well. Um, and I played in the junior high orchestra, played cello, and I was terrible at it. And the orchestra director didn't have a, a bass player. And he's like, hey, Brian, you see that big bass over there? Why don't you play that? You know, and I'm sure that was his way of not wanting to hear me try to saw my cello in half. And it was just like, I looked at the bass and I was like, yeah, that thing's big. And like, who wants to play that? But then I remember talking to my dad and my brother that they wanted me to play bass. And they're like, cool, we could play jazz. We could play together, play bass. So we could play together. And that was it. The next day I became a bass player. <laughs> That's how that happened. So as simple as that. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, boom. you yeah. must have enjoyed playing the bass, right? Because like, you know, there was must have been something about it that made you want to continue to play. <laughs> well, it was it was interesting because what what happened and I guess it happened quickly is I already had rhythm in me because I was a drummer. So I understood rhythm, time, groove, feel. I understood that. Um, what I didn't know that I had a, a talent for because I was such a bad cellist, I didn't know that I actually had melody in me and the melodic sense. And when I got to the bass, the bass is truly a blend of both. It's the you know, it is the rhythmical and harmonic foundation of all popular and all Western music because the bass defines the chord changes and also the groove. So when, if you really think about it, the bass is truly the center of the rhythm section. So um, I didn't know I had melody in me until I started playing the bass and, and it was like, wow, this is all of a sudden it became something else. It was, it was very cool how that unfolded and it, it actually unfolded very quickly. I mean, from a very, you know, from a very short time of just starting to play the bass up to being, you know, a, a good bassist happened in just a span of a few years. So it was pretty amazing, actually. From what you said, you kind of started playing professionally then as, as a kid, right? As a, in, in your early teens, is that right? Yeah, as a drummer at, at, at 12, 12, my first gig as a drummer, I was 12. Mm -hmm. And then at 13, I was working four nights a week um, in Tucson, Arizona, you know, in bands as a drummer. And then I started doing gigs on bass. I guess my first gigs when I, when I started playing bass live, I was 16. Right. Um, is when I started playing, you know, locally as a bass player in town. So, and that was it. Once I, once I started, once I started playing bass, there was no turning back. <laughs> it was like, that was it, you know? Yeah. I was reading that one your first big break came when you started collaborating with the great Stan Getz. Uh, is that right? I mean, how old were you then? Uh, how did you come about that, actually? And what do you remember of that? Yeah, it, it was it was it was it was amazing how that all happened. Um, the, the great legendary pianist Bill Evans, the Bill Evans Trio, came to Tucson for a week to do a bunch of workshops and concerts. And you know, I ditched school and went to every single workshop and concert they did for the entire week and just, you know, just was immersed in Bill Evans' trio. And Mark Johnson was the bassist and Joe LaBarber was the drummer. And Mark and I 
connected and became friends. And I was 18, I think then, 17 or 18. And Mark and I ended up hanging out and becoming friends. And, and he heard me play and we played a lot together while he was there for a week. And literally six months later, I think it was, he called me on the phone and said, hey, Brian, um, I was just in Europe with Bill and I was hanging out with Stan Getz and Stan asked me if I knew of any bass players. He's looking for a new bass player. I recommended you to Stan. So he said, he's probably going to call you. And I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, you know, thanks. But yeah, like Stan Getz is going to call me. Uh-huh, right. That's great. You know, what are you smoking, man? Um, and sure enough, the next day, I'm, I'm literally in my house rehearsing with my my local Tucson jazz band and my mom comes in the rehearsal and she's like, Brian, Stan Getz is on the phone. And I thought the sax player in my band was going to pass out and I almost fell over. Um, and sure enough, Stan Getz called me up and said, yeah, Mark recommended you, said you're the cat. So come to New York and audition for my band. And it was like, holy crap, you know, and I guess the rest is history. So I went, <laughs> I flew to New York with my bass and it's like, I'm going to New York City and I'm auditioning with Stan Getz and you know, went to the, 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 uh, Andy Laverne was the pianist, went to his, his apartment and I'm like auditioning in his bedroom because that's where the piano was. So it's like literally it's Stan Getz and, and his band with Chuck Loeb on guitar and Andy Laverne on piano and, and, and Victor Jones on drums. And we're literally in Andy's bedroom. And the first tune we play is Autumn Leaves. And I just remember going, I'm playing like Autumn Leaves in some stranger's bedroom with Stan Getz. What the hell am I doing here? And apparently he hired me like after the first chorus. I didn't even know that until afterwards. He just like hired me on the spot. But that's how that happened. Um, it was completely um, a crazy, crazy moment in my life of just going from some kid in Tucson, not knowing which end is up to all of a sudden I'm playing with, you know, a jazz legend. It was pretty amazing, actually. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you, you're on the road with Stan. What was, what was he like? I mean, what are your memories of being on the road with such a, with Stan Getz? Well, he was, you know, he has a nickname, you know, which is, yeah, Stan Getz. He's a nice bunch of guys. Um, he, it depends on if you were around him when he was sober or straight, or if you were around him when he was drunk or stoned, because the poor guy was a heroin addict. He kicked heroin. He was, you know, he, he spent, you know, he was a massive alcoholic. He would drink alcohol all day. Um, he would smoke an amazing amount of pot and do a tremendous amount of cocaine. So he was lit constantly. When he wasn't artificially enhanced, he was a great guy. He was like, he was like hanging with my dad almost because he was like, this, you know, he was very, you know, just, just, he was just a guy. But the minute he altered his consciousness, he became somebody else and he became very dark and, um, and a very, troubled human being, which is a shame because as a musician, the guy was a savant. He was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant musician. He'd never make a mistake. I mean, he was just phenomenal. I mean, you know, phenomenal is an understatement, truly one of the greatest musicians ever. Um, but he, as a person, was very troubled. So it was, it was tough for me because I was just a kid. I was a teenager and I had never experienced anything like like that before, you know, I'm, I'm like, again, I grew up in this cocoon of, you know, just a nice normal life in Tucson, Arizona. Now all of a sudden I'm traveling around the world with an ex junkie drug addict, <laughs> alcoholic, you know? So it was, it was, uh, it was th the biggest experience, you know, like, like the biggest growth part of that experience was the human element, which I, I cherish, you know, even though he was out of his mind, 
I learned so much about the world and I got to see the world and the music was just, you know, phenomenal. But as a person, I learned so much about what to do, what not to do, who I want to be and who I don't want to be. It was an invaluable lesson in life, you know, and for that, I'm incredibly grateful. Very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. That was, uh, it was amazing. It was a great story. And, um, you know, skipping ahead, because of course, you know, we could talk about, you know, your journey, you know, for hours, but uh, we only have a limited amount of time. I did want to bring up something, uh, which in a way is connected to your latest release, uh, The Magic of Moonlight, which, uh, again, is something that I definitely want to talk about in this podcast. Sure. Because another landmark moment, I guess, uh, uh, for you, uh, you know, was recording your first solo album or your, your first album as a band leader, A New Day yeah, yeah. in 1986. Yeah. Now, uh, yeah. I wanted to bring it up because interestingly, it was titled A New Day. And here we are, uh, you know, your latest album, The Magic of Moonlight. So in a way, right. day and night, but like. Just beyond yeah, right. that, what was what what did it feel like back then working on this album as a band leader and just breaking out on your own? Had you did you have certain ideas that you wanted to express, including as far as bass playing is concerned, that perhaps you hadn't had a chance to 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 express in your collaborations with all these great musicians that you worked with before? You know, it, it's a great question because honestly, um, and I, I say this with the utmost of of truth and 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 humility and honesty i had no idea what i was doing when 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 it came time for the first record i i really i i didn't know how to make a record i'd never made a record i'd made some demo tapes in the studio before but i hadn't like actually produced a record and and work with all these great players and and um you know I, I wrote a bunch of music which i didn't even realize i could write music and it's you know I, when i started when we started recording i was 24 and it's like I, I was, you couldn't be any more green than me, even though I had a lot of experience traveling the world with a lot of great players. At that point, I'd been touring with a lot of great players and, and, and a lot of the legendary jazz artists, but doing my own record was something that I just never even, honestly, I never even thought I'd play on a record in my life, let alone do my own. And and that's really the truth. So the whole thing is, I, I just... I just went for it. I didn't know what to do or what not to do. And, you know, when I look, when, when I look back on it, you know, like half of what I did <laughs> is just God awful. What was I thinking? And the other half of what I did is like, wow, there's really some moments where there's this, you know, there's a lot of potential here. Like this kid's got something, you know, I just didn't know anything about what I was doing. So, you know, when, when I, when I, when I think about it, um, I wish I was better. I wish I was surrounded by more people that could have helped and direct me more. Um, you know, on the flip side, I learned a lot and it really started my production career. And it, it, I guess it started my life because I did I, my solo career because I did the record. I didn't have a deal, but, um, I sent it out to a label and got signed. So obviously they heard something in it and gave me a shot. So that was, um, that was cool. But, um, I really had no idea what I was doing and, and it kind of sounds that way actually, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but there were moments where it's like, you could tell that, that I had something going. I just didn't know what it was yet, you know? So, uh, thank God there were some people who believed in me and funded it and gave me the opportunity. Of course, I didn't make a penny off of it, but, um, it, it opened the door to my career. So, um, uh, it was a blessing for me for sure.
The track you are hearing is Nico's Groove, a tribute to the late renowned smooth jazz guitarist Nick Colleone, featured in Brian Bromberg's latest album, The Magic of Moonlight. And we'll resume our conversation with the artist in a moment. But first, I wanted to remind you that if you love jazz and vinyl, you should check out Jazz's Vinyl Club a new series of vinyl compilations carefully curated by the Jazz's editors and featuring some of the most exciting jazz artists from yesterday and today that we cover in the print version of Jazz's, jazz's.com and these Jazz's podcasts. Go to jazz's.com and click on Join Vinyl Club. But now, back to our conversation with Brian Bromberg. I did want to bring up your 2022 album. I believe it was released in 2022. A little driving music seems to be quite yeah, yeah. a liberating concept, given that it emerged kind of at the tail end or shortly after, depending on what side of the world uh, anyone was in listening to it, of the COVID lockdown. Uh, what was that whole yeah. period like for you? Where were you at creatively? Well, that you know, I, I have to tell you, and, and thank you for bringing that up because that. You know, that was, what's that old saying? You get a bunch of lemons and you make lemonade. I mean, that was, that was an amazing period for me because, you know, on one hand, you know, the entire music industry just collapsed. I mean, the music industry is about face to face. It's about playing live, whether you're live on stage for, for human beings or you're live in the studio. Everything you do as a professional musician is, is done with other people. So when COVID happened, the music industry just stopped as far as anything creative with humans, especially jazz. I mean, you know, jazz is, it's one of the most creative art forms in the world. And it's about, you know, the spontaneous improvisation with other human beings. When COVID happened, it just stopped, you know? So on the other side of that, what it ended up doing for me, because I have a studio in the house, it, it allowed me to do, I did three records completely in quarantine and social distancing. I remixed and remastered my Jimi Hendrix tribute, which um, that was, you know, that was already recorded. And that's just me and Vinnie Caliuta, it's just two people. But we re remixed it and remastered it and worked on it a little bit. Um, it allowed me to do the holiday record, Celebrate Me Home, the, my, my first holiday record. I did that entirely in quarantine. And, and social distance, everything you hear, whether it's strings, horn section, big band, everything was all done um, one track at a time and sent to me and I built it and put it together. Um, and uh, I even played drums on it. And that was also done just me in one room and the engineer in another room. And that was it. Um, and then uh, a little driving music was my first, you know, like it was my original music contemporary jazz record that was also done completely in quarantine social distance so everything on a little driving music was truly done track at a time and overdubbed and like an erector set so when i sit back and, and look at it and when i listen to it it's amazing it's amazing how good it came out considering the fact that there's not one track on there where anybody played with another human being <laughs> so that it's it's pretty amazing to think of it, if, of it that way of it you know how i wrote the songs demo the songs and started replacing my parts with human parts and built 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 it and the fact that it breathes and and, and there's peaks and valleys and there's art in it and there, there it's 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 musical it's not just music 
you would never know if you listen to either one of those records that they were done completely in quarantine. And so in a sense, I'm really proud of that fact because they are musical on the flip, not on the flip side, on the other side, it really kept me sane through the lockdown because I was able to work on this music and I was very creative in the process of everything in my world just stopping. So in a sense, it was in incredibly rewarding to be able to, um, you know, do the music in, in a really scary time for humanity. You know, sadly, I had several personal friends die from COVID. And, um, you know, when people would say, ah, it's just a flu, it's like, yeah, well, ask my friends, they're dead. It's not the flu. It's serious. I had it twice. I had it before anybody even knew what COVID was. It was before it, it was popular and before the lockdown. And I've never been the same since. So this virus um, is pretty invasive, especially when it first came on the scene. So that period of time, if it wasn't for making these records, I don't know what I would have done. It helped me get through that horrible period of time. And it was very rewarding musically and emotionally to be able to record my music and, and do it in a way that, um, you know, normally when you, when you record, you know, sessions are very, um, social. You're hanging with your friends. You're hanging with musicians. It's a wonderful scene in the studio. There's all this energy, this camaraderie back and forth. It's a wonderful thing. So it was kind of weird doing all of this just by yourself and people would send me files. But on the flip side, it was just a pleasure to get, you know, other people sending me their human parts and then building it and putting it all together. And it sounds human. It was really rewarding experience. And when you talk about, you know, the recording and the production process of a little drive me music is that the same way that you worked when it came to the magic of moonlight very much so although magic of moonlight you know the, the there was a little more social interaction because it wasn't locked down but it's still pretty much the formula in a sense was still pretty much the same because it's like i you know there it's all original music and for the most part and when I write, it's like I just songs, they just come out. It's like a channel. I don't sit, you know, I know a lot of guys that write all the time and are always coming up with things and doing all that kind of stuff. I don't do that. I just, the song shows up and there it is. And, and it either shows up in my head or if I'm playing an instrument, all of a sudden I'm writing a song and the song kind of writes itself and that's it. And then I do really, um, <laughs> I do really barbaric demos because it's literally just all me playing different parts and then I'll make a drum part and I'll, I'll do different things because I'm not, I'm not a keyboard player. So there's, I, you know, my demos don't sound that great when, when you think about some people's demos sound like records. Um, so what I'll do is I'll actually make the demo of the song, but when I do it, I'll actually do the demo as a finished song. I'll actually do it with the form of what I want the song to be. So even though all the parts are going to be replaced, it's still the intro, the verse, the melodies, the solo section, the chorus, whatever, the vamp, all this kind of stuff. So my demos truly end up being like, you know, here's what the song is going to be. And then I start replacing them with um, human beings. I'll put real drums on, real bass, obviously, or keeper parts, real keyboards, real piano, real horns, everything, everything, all my demo stuff gets completely destroyed and I put real stuff on it, replace the parts. And yeah, when you talk about replacing uh, that with human beings, <laughs> as you put it, there's some yeah. really great musicians on this record, isn't there? I mean, Grant Geisman, Lynn Roundtree, Ray Fuller, Everett Harp. I mean, totally. It's like, you know, you know, as I say, you know, my music is just notes on paper. It's the other musicians that make it live and breathe, you know. So for me, I always like to surround myself with great artists because 
the, the, the better people on stage with me and the better people on my records, it just inspires me to be better, you know, and, um, and music lasts a lifetime. You record a song, it lasts forever, you know, so I want it to be as good as I can make it, you know, and, uh, you know, I always try to, I always try to get a bunch of diverse, you know, people on my record in different sounds and different styles. And, you know, I mean, a lot of time, you know, violin, <laughs> you know, all kinds of different instruments that sometimes you would normally never think would be on, you know, kind of a smoother contemporary record. I always like to, to, to try to make it, uh, you know, unique and, and give it an identity that it may not be an identity that you can go, Oh, that's Brian grab. Cause most everything I do sounds different actually, but each song I, I, I call like, I, I call a record like a book of short stories. Each song is a story and each song tells a different story. And me being the artist, I'm the glue of the of the story in the sense it's my story because I wrote the song or I'm the featured artist in a sense. But every story is different. And and this story might have a soprano sax on it. This story story might have, you know, a violin lead on it or, or a guitar or whatever. Every, you know, every story is going to be different, you know, and that's that's the beautiful thing about doing a full record is that you're going to tell all these different stories and you're going to put them into one package, which hopefully has the consistency and the glue of who the artist is. I just happen to be a really diverse artist where I've done a lot of different kinds of records and a lot of different kinds of styles, but I like to try to find some way to center all of that with at least whatever my presence is, where you can grab a hold of that, even though stylistically it might be very different. And when you talk about your albums being collections of short stories, I, I think you put it uh, along those lines. Still, though, I guess they're they're held together in this record by this uh, driving concept, right? The magic of moonlight. Does this refer to a, a particular aesthetic vision evocative of the moonlight, the magic of moonlight? Well, because of, I mean, this property where it is, you know, when the moon comes up, it's really beautiful. I mean, it lights up the mountains. It lights up the tree. It, it's, it's, it's spectacular. It's, it's really beautiful. There's a lot of mystique in moonlight, you know? Um, and so for me, you know, there is that connection. The song itself, the title track, um, just wrote itself and it blew me away. It's like it literally the song showed up and in 10 minutes the song was done. You know, it just, it, it like boom. And it was, it was very powerful and, um, it just, it was just one of those things where the song wrote itself and it was very strong and very powerful and, and there was some mystique behind it. And I love the track and it just, you know, it just, I don't know, it just kind of happened. I also really love astronomy. <laughs> so it was like, it all kind of made sense of like the moon and the stars and, and the whole vibe and, and nature. And, 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 and it just, it just, it just all connected for whatever reason. But, um, I really liked the record. Everybody played great on it. And some of the music is, uh, is really, some of the music is really strong and very melodic and very memorable. And it's, you know, especially in the contemporary jazz world, you always want to try to find that balance between groove, you know, the funky groove or whatever that feels good, that just makes you, you know, feels good. And also hooks and melodies that you can't get out of your head. And, and when those combinations is what makes songs really, really powerful because, you know, there could be a song that can have a great groove in a great pocket, but if you can't remember the melody or the chorus or the hook, then you it's half the song is gone. Or if you have a nice melody and there's no groove, your body isn't moving, right? You know, you, you can really, 
it's 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 a pretty humbling and 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 a really amazing experience when you when you play a festival or you play for people, and you look at all these people out there, it's really incredible to watch them because if their bodies aren't moving, if they're just all doing this and watching you, they're not feeling you. It's when they move to the music, they're feeling you, not just hearing you, and that's the difference. People have to feel your music. They have to feel your presence. And if they can't feel it, then it's going to go in and go out. And they're going to wait for the next band or they're going to go get something to eat or they're just, they're just not getting you. Or they may go, oh, wow, they're really great musicians, but I don't feel anything. It's when they feel you, your body can't sit still. And you see people moving to the music. That's, that's everything. If you combine that with a melody that you can sing along with or a hook that you can't get out of your head – that connection of the groove and the, the melodic end of it together, that's what makes your music last forever because you can grab onto it. And that's, that's what I try to, that's what I always try to do. And with the magic of moonlight, I think there's a really good balance of groove and funk and vibe and songwriting and melody and arrangement and production. And it's, it's, it's those balances together. I think that, that make it a really strong project for me. You know, I can only speak for myself. That's really fascinating. And, you know, speaking about, you know, playing at a festival in front of an audience, uh, I would like to also ask you if you, you know, what's your schedule like in terms of live dates? Have you got anything planned that you can, that you can tell us about? Uh, and also what's the best way for people to keep up with all of the news, live dates and upcoming projects? I wish I had more live dates. I'm starting to get a little more. Um, I just got back actually from three nights in Arizona, which was fantastic. You know, starting to book some stuff next year, uh, doing the Berks Jazz Festival. That's going to be a really big festival for me because I'm involved in several different bands and several different projects for that. But I'm also going to be doing my own show with Lynn Roundtree and Everett Harp and Michael Paolo and Ray Fuller. And we're going to video it. It's going to be a live concert video. So that's going to be really exciting with a full horn section. There'll be like probably 11 of us on stage, if not more. So that's going to be really fun. Um, starting to book some more stuff now. I mean, just, you know, my website, brianbromberg.net, you know, I post everything that I do there, you know, same with social media. Um, and, um, I, you know, I'm going to talk about it because it's real, although I didn't ask him about it, didn't even think about it. But Paul Brown and I are putting a band together and we're putting a group together that right now um, is Paul Brown, myself, Philippe Says and Michael Paolo. And we're just figuring out the drummer and it's uh, it's going to be in addition to our own solo things where we're actually going to write for it and make it a thing, which is going to be really exciting. And that's going to come out next year. So I'm really excited about that. I was really touched that he asked me to do it. We've been doing a bunch of things together and um, we get along great. And uh, it's just it's it's going to be really fun. So there are some neat projects coming up. I'm trying to get more dates, obviously, for the Magic of Moonlight, you know, um, and, uh, you know, just. Go to my website, you know, brianbromberg.net or just look me up on social media. I'll post anything that we get, you know, I'll, I'll put it out there. Well, that's great, Brian. And thank you very much for joining us. It's been great chatting with you. Thanks a lot. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Brian Bromberg and I remind you that his latest album, The Magic of Moonlight, is available now on Mac Avenue. And if you love jazz and vinyl, be sure to check out our Jazz Is Vinyl Club. Join the club and we will send you four premium limited edition color vinyl albums mailed directly to you. Just go to jazzis.com and click on Join Vinyl Club for more. And as music from The Magic of Moonlight by Brian Bromberg plays us out, I encourage you to keep an eye out for more Jazzy's podcasts, our print magazine, and other great content available to you on our regularly updated website, jazzies.com. And if you like what you see, you can always subscribe for more. Till the next time, this is Matt McCucci signing off. See you soon. Music